Welcome to the Kodesh Podcast. You are listening to the infallible word from the Holy Hill, God's seat of power. Let the word from the Holy Hill be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Stay blessed. Church, without wasting any more time, I want you to receive the minister for tonight, Dr. David Samuel. Would you like my wife to say hello to you? (laughs) For so many years, I heard about the Kodesh. So many years. And I I have no words. When we just entered the property, you can already feel the holy presence of the Lord. (laughs) To worship with you tonight is such an honor. It's such a dream. And I thank you for welcoming us. Well, you may be seated for a few moments. I'd like to ask a team of our leaders that have come with us from the Philippines, if you would stand, please. We brought them to learn from you. It's been our privilege to know Bishop Dagg and Lady Adelie now for many, many years in Church Growth International, and we became friends and became closer friends, and I remember the first time Bishop came to preach for us. After he preached, I looked at him and I said, I understand your kind of Christianity. And he said, what do you mean by that? And I did not know how to explain, but you love Jesus. You will never know how much our relationship with Bishop Dagg and Lady Adelaide and Bishop, we love teasing him when we call him Bishop, Bishop Josh now. Sometimes we we tease him mercilessly about it, but uh, Josh and and his wife have become close friends with my daughter and my son-in-law, and so our friendship is going into a second generation. (laughs) 
but thank you for sharing your family with all of us and the rest of the world. You're changing lives, you're touching lives. There are so many people in our church that have been healed when this bag has been there. So many people have been encouraged. So many pastors' lives have been turned around. I know it's difficult for you when he's not here, but it sure blesses the rest of us in the world. So thank you for your generosity of sharing Bishop Dag with all of us. Like my wife, I've heard about Kadesh for many years from Lady Adelaide. This is her church, she says. She said, this is, Kadesh is my church. This is where I go to church. So she's always very particular about that. But you have, you have a wonderful leadership team, and God has been good to you. Your bishop told us that I can preach as long as I want tonight. Um, you, you have to be careful in telling me something like that because I love the word and I know in Africa you love the word and that's a very difficult situation for those to be around who do not love the word. But you have come out tonight on a rainy night. I'm a pastor. I understand what that means. I understand the difficulty of public transportation. In our church, I always look forward to rainy nights. Because, yes, not everybody's there, but God's got something special for the people that are there. For quite a few months now, I've been watching the news and reading about the economic crisis happening in Ghana. And I must tell you that every day in morning prayer, Ghana is in my prayers because we have lived through what you have been through. And that's what I want to teach you about tonight and again on Sunday morning. Right. In 1980, when I became the pastor of what was then called Manila Bethel Temple, now it's called Cathedral of Praise, we owned nothing. We didn't even own the building that we were using. We were still under martial law. We came out of martial law. We went into the Aquino assassination and capital flight. And the peso very quickly went from 3 to 1 to 6 to 1 to 18 to 1 to 24 to 1 to 48 to 1 to 52 to 1. Our interest rates went to 52%. I was in the middle of a building program. Do you know what it means to order all of your chairs, 8,000 seats? and your 900 tons of turbo chillers for the air conditioning, and that next week the peso goes from 24 to 1 to 48 to 1. And you just sit down and cry and say, Jesus, they can't find you, but they can find me. <laughs> but as a young man in the early 80s, I didn't know how to lead the congregation through this. And God began to teach me that the men of Issachar understood their times and therefore knew what Israel should do. And as a young pastor, I didn't understand the times, let alone understand how to lead the people scripturally through the horrible economic crises that we went through. But after going through the 1980s economic crisis, God had begun to teach us. And then we went through the 1990s Asian economic crisis, and our lessons became clearer. And now as we face crises today, 
we understand the times and know what Israel should do. So what I want to do tonight and on Sunday, and I don't know that I'll get through all of this because I wrote 72 pages of notes. Because I've been praying about these services for like six months and saying, Lord, give, give me things to say. As a young man, I, I do, did what I understood. My background was accounting finance. I understood trusting banks. I had to learn how to trust God. I understood how to trust in raising money in America. <clears throat> I used to take trips where I would do 21 cities in 21 days trying to gather money together to help support the congregation. Not for ourselves, but for the congregation. And I remember on one of those trips, God said, can't you trust me to provide where I planted you? And I had lessons that I had to learn. And some of these lessons that I'm going to be teaching you the next couple of days are the lessons that came out of all of that. Because if we're going to learn how to live, we have to learn how to live in the famine. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. And there are things that this world goes through that we're in the middle of. So how do we, as we sang earlier, how do we live by faith? How do we put our hope in a God who provides? And we have to teach the next generation. We can't just look at the next generation and teach them about the miracles of God. We have to look to the next generation and teach them to put their hope in the God who provides richly all things for us to enjoy. We have to teach the next generation of pastors that this is how you can go out and start churches and all you have is Jesus. And that's enough. There has to come a passing on of the lessons to the next generation about how we can trust God where parents teach their children that, you're, you know, the economy has been wonderful. And sometimes, forgive me, after the economy has been good and growth has been wonderful and people have jobs and they have money in their pockets and now they become foodies, whatever that means. They, they want to challenge different kinds of foods and they have to have the latest gadgets. And, you know, af after a generation comes up with a family that has learned to prosper, that has learned to have food on the table, the next generation that comes along, if they don't understand how to trust in the same God who provided for their mother and father, to trust in the same God that provided for their grandfather and their grandmother, the next generation is going to be lost. We have to teach it. We have to take these truths and pass them on to the next generation. Now in Acts 19 verse 10, there was a great revival. It said, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. I don't think there's ever been another revival in history like this one. Paul had gone into the, what was then called Asia. He had 12 men with him. Those 12 men evangelized an entire section of the world. And the great seven churches of Asia were born. And the center of Christianity moved from Jerusalem to the city of Ephesus. People ask me today, where do you think the center of Christianity is in the world today? In Africa. There is so much that God is doing here now. But you also have to understand that after that great revival came, what, for a lack of a better term, I would call a satanic counterattack. 
because Satan then moved his throne to the city of Pergamum, one of the seven churches of Asia's city, 20 kilometers north from the greatest church in the world at that time, Ephesus. And Satan put his throne there, and his world headquarters for all demonic activity rotated through that section of the world. And we see the impact of it in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3 with the false prophets, with the false doctrines, with the carnality and ministry, with the disloyalty. You see all of that happening as part of the influence of Satan's counterattack. But the good news of it all is God looked at every one of those churches and says, I'm coming quickly. And for one of them, he said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. When Jesus walks back into a situation, I got news for you folks. It doesn't matter what Satan has torn up for how long. God makes everything new in a heartbeat. So we have to understand the world that we live in. That we live in a world where Satan just doesn't sit back and allow the kingdom of God to continue to grow. There are satanic counterattacks. Now, Paul warned the church of Ephesus about this. In Ephesians 6, verse 10, he said, there's going to come an evil day that you're going to have to learn to stand in. He writes to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and he begins to talk to them about how to lead your church through these difficult days ahead. And we'll be getting more into that later on this evening and again on Sunday. Now, as Satan attacks, we have to understand this is normal. He comes to weaken the nations, Isaiah 14, verse 2. He comes to deceive the nations, Revelation 12, verse 9. And you say, well, how does he do that? Economically. I mean, please, when you look at 2 Kings 24, 2 Kings 24, 14, what did every nation who conquered Israel do to Israel? They took out all the nobility and all the intelligentsia and all the arts and they took them out and they left the poorest of the poor in the country to keep the people poor. This is how Satan weakens a nation. In modern words, we would call it a brain drain. Has Ghana ever had a brain drain? Yeah, we've been through brain drain. I remember the 80s. It looked like every person that had college degrees and every capable person was leaving the country for America. And I said, Jesus, would you please bring everybody back home? People would come to me and say, Pastor, would you pray for me for my visa? And I would say, yes, Lord, cancel the visa in Jesus' name. You think I'm joking? Ask our folks. But we would look and we would see our best and we would see our brightest. And today I'm happy to tell you some of our best and our brightest are coming back home. But Satan wants to weaken the nations. He wants to keep Ghana poor. Because you have so much of God to take to the world. And you need the finances to do that. In the same way God has called our nation in the Philippines to be a springboard to Asia, Satan wants to keep us poor and broke so that we don't have the money to send out the missionaries and to build the churches and to do the great works of God. So we have to learn how do we prosper in the middle of all of this. In Jesus' name. In Matthew 24, verse 7, Jesus teaches us that there will be famines in the last days. The same thing in, in Mark chapter 13, verse 8. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. But if we're in this world, we're going to be part of where the famines take place. 
And you also have to understand that the, the spiritual pollution of a nation pollutes a nation. We talk so much about being green. And, and please, I think we should take care of the planet. And everybody said? But part of taking care of the planet is spiritual. Numbers chapter 35, verse 33 and 34 talks about the murder, blood in the land pollutes the land. Psalms 106, verse 38 talks about the blood of the sons and daughters, the innocents being shed, sacrificed to idols. You look at abortion and how it pollutes the land. You have to understand these sins have an effect upon the creation of God that we call the land. Jeremiah 3, verses 1 to 9, and Jeremiah 16, verse 18, God says, you polluted the land with your worship of idols. It brings a pollution. There is an impact upon the productivity and the fertility of a, of a nation. This murder, this, this, the murder of the innocents, the idolatry. So how do we live in the middle of this? Understand that we're different. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm different. If you're born again, you're different. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention. I like that. And people are talking bad, they're talking trash about God. But then when people get together and say, God is good and his mercy endures forever. When the people of God get together and they sing songs like this that we've sung tonight, God listens. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. My friends, the circumstances we live in do not change the promises of God for his people. The inflation rate, the interest rate, what the IMF says. I used to hate it when the IMF came to the Philippines. Forgive me if you work for the IMF. They would come, I'm like, every few months they'd come to our country and they'd say, you need to mop up more liquidity. And I thought, why don't you get your own mop and leave us alone? <laughs> and every time they'd come, life would get harder for the people. And I had to come to learn as a young man that it didn't matter what the IMF said. It matters what God has said. And his promises are true. Every promise he has spoken, not one of them will fall to the ground. We must get a hold of these simple, basic truths because the world out there will so fill our minds with, with the negativity. The news out there will so fill our minds that we feel like there's nothing that we can do, that all we can do is bow and, and, and go through this. No, you can walk through this as more than a conqueror through him who loved you. Now let's understand what happens in a time of famine. That was my introduction. First, let's understand what happens in a time of famine. Two great things happen during economic crisis. One, wealth is destroyed, and two, wealth is transferred. Everybody say, wealth is destroyed. Now think with me, please, because sometimes we don't read the scriptures carefully. 
In Genesis 24, verse 35, we see that Abraham was a wealthy man. Is that correct? But in Genesis chapter 26, he only had one heir, and he, that was his son Isaac. But in Genesis 26, verses 12 to 14, Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich. Now, wait a minute. You are already rich, dude. You had daddy's money. What happened to Abraham's money? It was destroyed in the famine. Isaac stayed there. God told him to, to go to the land that he would show him. And instead, Isaac stayed there in Gerar. The scriptures say for a long time, verse 8 of Genesis chapter 26. So he stayed there in Gerar. He didn't go back up into the land. He stayed there right along the edge of the land as close as he could get to Egypt and not get in. Everybody say, how close can I get to disobedience? He got very close. And he stayed there a long time. And all of his inheritance dissipated. It all went away. Until God had to completely rebuild the wealth of a family. Wealth is destroyed by famine. It's destroyed by what? Say it again. Now God had mercy on him. In his mercy, even though he was still there in Gerar, God had mercy and began to rebuild it. We'll get into that probably on Sunday. God helped him rebuild. But he had to learn to obey in order to hang on to what God was rebuilding. God in his mercy will sometimes just come and bless you because he, he's good and his mercy endures forever. But if you don't get yourself back in gear and get into complete obedience... It keeps getting attacked. But that's for Saturday, excuse me, that's for Sunday. I'll tease you just a little bit. Jacob was in the process of losing his wealth during a famine. Genesis 42, verses 1 to 2. There was no food. So all of his wealth, stored in money, stored wealth, all of his wealth was being sent to Egypt to buy food to bring back to them. He had to import everything they ate. Can you imagine having to import everything that goes in your mouth? And the whole time you're, you're doing that, you're enriching another nation. And your own nation is staying poor and getting poorer because we're sending all of our money over there. That's what Jacob was going through. He was losing everything. But God had a plan to rescue them, and the land of Goshen was set up. Now, Goshen is a whole study in itself, so we'll leave that for another trip. A second thing is that wealth transfers in times of famine. Now, think with me from Genesis chapter 47. I won't read all the scriptures tonight, but in Genesis chapter 47, verses 13 to 26, we find the story of all the wealth of Egypt transferring from all of the population to Pharaoh. Wealth never transfers in the good times. Wealth transfers in the hard times. In the good times, everybody's making money. But real wealth, land, hard assets, those transfer in the hard times. Now, the principle is simple. Joseph practiced counterflow. Everybody say counterflow. 
in the good times, what did Joseph do? Saved. What did Joseph do in the hard times? Buy. What did everybody else do in the good times? Spend. And what did they do in the hard times? Buy. Where did the wealth go? To the guy who practiced counterflow thinking. Now, what I teach our church members is you have to understand your times. In the good times, I tell our people, quit trying to be a foodie. You don't have to have every latest gadget. You don't have to try every new little restaurant in town. You don't have to have the latest of this and the latest of that. You don't have to go to Universal Studios and Walt Disney. You don't have to do all that. You don't do that here, do you? Bishop Dagg told me one time, he said, your stories are our stories. We have the same stories, my friends. We are the same. <laughs> so in the good times, you save. Because everything is expensive in the good times. In the bad times, people are broke and they need to sell and all the prices go down. Everything is on sale. During COVID, I don't remember how many properties did we buy during COVID? I've forgotten. We bought properties from many of our branch churches during COVID because there's no buyers out there but us. Now, if you have been wise and you have been saving in the good times, this is a great time to buy your family their house and lot. Because I think Ghana is like the Philippines. Every family wants their own home. This is a great time to buy a house and lot. Churches, this is a great time to buy property and to expand the church buildings. This is a great time to buy assets. There are going to be companies that, that used to do big events and they have giant PA systems and they have nobody to rent them to. And they look at you and you go, eh, I'll give you 25% of what you paid for it. And they'll be happy to take it because they have no cash. Say, so you're taking advantage. No, we're living biblically. Wealth transfers in the times of famine. Paul taught Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He said, now, Timothy, I've already told the church, you've got a season of darkness ahead. Now, beloved, please, when I say that, understand a season of darkness doesn't mean that we're defeated. Remember when Jesus in the garden said, this is your hour, an hour when darkness reigns. But was Jesus defeated? No. When Satan, possessing Judas, stood before him, and Jesus said, I am he, where was Satan? Inside of Judas, on his face before Jesus. Go dig it out in the book of John. Even in an hour when darkness reigned, Jesus is still Lord. 
Now you can go and work on that one for a bit. So in a season that the darkness was going to come, he said, Timothy, you've got to teach the people how to live in this time. He says, as for the rich in this present age. Now he's not criticizing the rich businessmen in town. There are people in the church that God has blessed. Are there people in Kadesh that God has blessed? Okay. He said, as for the rich in this present age, charge them, command them. Look at the members and say, now listen, don't you be proud. Nor set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. The first thing that you had to challenge people in, after you've been through good times, when you've come out of, how many people here used to be poor? Put your hands up high. Used to be poor. Okay. When you've come out of poverty and God has been good to you, it's really easy to get a little proud. It's really easy to begin to think that you're better than other people because you forgot where you came from. But I'm sure that never happens in Ghana, only in my country. A businessman who used to sell peanuts on the street when he was in college to get by and have food to eat, now God has blessed him and he's successful, and all of a sudden he's too good to sit next to somebody else. But I'm sure that never happens in Ghana. He said, tell them not to be proud. Please forgive me, beloved. Where did it all come from? It all came from God. It's his mercy. It's his grace. It's his hand upon our life. We wouldn't be anything if God didn't do it for us. So he says, when you're headed into a hard time, time for a pride check. Everybody say, time for a pride check. You don't want any pride in your heart. You want to just be humble. God, everything I have, you've given to me. Everything I'll ever have, you're going to give to me. Lord, thank you. I'm just nothing, but you've been good to me. So we humble ourselves before God. And then he says, don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. Now, when you're that guy selling peanuts on the street, you pray every day for God to give you people to buy your peanuts. Because if you don't sell your peanuts, you don't eat. But now that you're not selling peanuts, now that you have a five-story building that you rent out, now you put your hope in your five-story rental. I read a story about a guy in Afghanistan. He had 10 10-story buildings and an earthquake hit. Guess how many he has now? Zero. You don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. When I first went to the Philippines, the peso was like three to one or six to one. If you had one million pesos in the bank, you were a rich person. By the time the peso within a couple of years hit 48 to 1, you didn't have much. Are we still here? Oh, I have this much money in the bank. Yeah, but forgive me. 
What about those people in Cyprus where the government walked in about what, six, seven years ago and took half of all their money and just said, oh, where's ours now? Oh, it happens here. What about when inflation, it used to cost you this much to buy a pair of shoes, and now it costs you triple to buy the same pair of shoes? See, this is the uncertainty of the riches of this world. You cannot put your hope in it. You say, well, God blessed me with this. Yes, but once it comes from out of the treasures of heaven and it comes into this earth, it can be corruptible, it can be lost, it can be destroyed. And we have to understand that. So he said, don't put your hope. You, you rich people, get yourself humble again. And he said, don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. All of the riches of this world can be here today and gone tomorrow, but God will never leave you, fail you, or forsake you. Your bank account might be confiscated tomorrow, but Jesus is still with you. Your house, forgive me. Somebody may come with a bulldozer and bulldoze your house because there's a government official who just wants to take the property. I'm sure that never happens here. Only in my country. And your house is gone. What do you do? You put your hope in God. It doesn't matter what happens to the things of this world. God has promised that he would provide for you. He'll put food on the table for your family. He'll put a roof over your head. You put your hope in God. He said, don't set their hopes. Don't fix. Don't, don't put in, in concrete. Don't, don't focus all of your heart, your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But he said, focus your hopes on God. Everybody say, focus my hope on God who richly provides. Who does what? Who does what? Who does what? Now, I don't know how to teach people extravagance where some guy walks up and says, you know, you sow 50 pesos, or you sow, what's this? 50 CDs? You sow 50 CDs in my ministry and God will give you a Mercedes Benz next week, I guarantee it. I receive it in the name of Jesus. Well, it's not going to happen like that. I'm sorry, it don't work like that, folks. Everything about the blessings of God is progressive and based on faithfulness and based on how you live your life. But you know what God will do is right where you start, he'll start providing. He'll put food on the table for your family. He'll make sure your children have food to eat. He'll get an education for your children. He'll put a roof over the head of your family. He'll put shoes on your feet. He'll put clothes on the back of your family. He will richly provide for you. Are you getting this? So this is where you put your hopes. Now notice it's hopes plural. Not one hope. All of your hopes. Your hope for a baby doesn't come from how much money you have in the bank to pay the doctors. Your hope for a baby is in God who gives life.
Your hope for a home doesn't come from your rich relative who promised to leave you an inheritance. Your hope for a home is in God. Your hope to graduate your children from a good school and a good college doesn't come from relatives overseas that will support them. You know, please forgive me, we love our families, but we don't put our hopes in our relatives because they live in the same world we live in. We put our hope in God who richly provides everything for us to enjoy. And if you don't get anything else that I'm going to be preaching, and I'm nowhere near done yet, if you don't get anything else, you've got to get that in your heart, that you put your hope, your confident expectation of future good. That's what hope means. You put all of your hopes for everything good in life in God because God provides. Oh, God is good. Oh. Well, you know, Pastor Samral, though the fig tree shall not blossom. Yeah, I know the passage in Habakkuk. But it didn't say put your super spirituality in God. It said put your hope in God. Yes, we will worship him. It doesn't matter. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Yes, I get that. Yes, that's how we live. If he wants our life, it's his. We already gave it to him. But your hope your confident expectation for future good, that one day you'll have a building this big for your church. That one day you'll have buses to bring your people to church. That one day you'll be able to build a hospital for your members. That one day you'll be able to build an orphanage for the people of your city. You put your hope, all of your hopes, for everything good in life, not in your overseas members who send their money. You put your hopes in God. And this is what I had to learn as a young pastor in the 1980s. We didn't need money from America. We just needed God to provide. And there is a great difference, beloved, in where you're focusing your heart. She said, Timothy, Teach people not to be proud. Get, get their nose out of the stratosphere. Remember where you came from. Remember where you were when God found you, picked you up, and began to change your life. Remember where you came from. Remember the pit that he took you out of. Every day, give thanks to him. Lord, look at what you've done in my life. A few weeks ago, I was visiting my mama. I hadn't seen her in six years. I thought I was going to be in big trouble, but all she did was look at me when she first saw me, and she said, David, your shirt is too small. <laughs> I thought, all right, I'm okay. But I walked back up, because I grew up in the barrio in, in Alabama. I went up to the little uh, grocery store where I used to work. Still almost nobody there. I walked around the parking lot with my hands lifted up. I didn't care who was watching. They didn't know who I am. They don't recognize me anymore. I walked around and just began to sing and praise God and say, Lord, I remember that skinny little kid. Oh, I remember, Lord. Look at what you've done for me. Oh, look at what you've done for me. You remember where you came from, but then you make a decision. 
Everybody tells you, this is how you do this. And, and pastors, please forgive me. But people always tell you, this is how you raise money. You don't need to raise money. You need to talk to God. It didn't say people provide. It said God provides. Are we still here? Put your hopes in the God who richly provides. What are the things that God provides? Oh, my goodness, there's so many. Can I give you just a few? God provides prosperity, Jeremiah 33, verse 9. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Genesis, Jeremiah 33, 9. All the prosperity I provide for it. He provides a place of rest. Joshua chapter 1, verse 13. Remember the word, the Lord, that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest. And will give you this land. Isaiah 32 verse 18. My people will abide in peaceful habitations. In secure dwellings. In quiet places of rest. I've watched for 43 years how God has taken our people. Some of them out of living in one square meter. With a dirt floor. Have you ever visited somebody in one square meter? You can't visit them in their home. You have to visit them outside. Because there's no room inside. One square meter. I take up that much by myself. And I've watched God give them their own home. Now, it may not be impressive to other people. It may be 25 square meters or 35 square meters, but it's their home. Nobody can throw them out of it again. It's their home. It belongs to them. They can grow old in it. And it's a peaceful place. It's a quiet habitation. It's a place to rest. It's not a place where all you hear is craziness around you because you just have one square meter with a dirt floor here in the middle of 10,000 other people. It's your own home with walls and a roof. And when it rains, you don't worry about the water pouring through on top of you and coming up from below you. But I know that never happens in Ghana. God has a home for every one of the families of Kadesh. And it will be a quiet place, a peaceful habitation, a secure dwelling, where your family can walk down the street and not be afraid, where your daughter can walk home from the bus and not be afraid. This is what God provides. See, when, when, when people take this message and use it wrong, they, it's like one guy stood up at our church many years ago and talked about having faith for an airplane. And I looked at him and I said, we're trying to get faith for food. <laughs> Th this is where we live. Food on the table. A home to live in. Clothes on the back of our children. Our children educated for the future generations. And God says, I'm going to provide that. The next one he provides. <laughs> How many business people are here? Would you raise your hands? Okay, here, here's a business thing for you. Ezekiel 34, 29. And I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they will no longer be consumed with hunger in the land. A business of renown. Oh, I like that. Not a little thing that nobody knows about. A business of renown. 
And why would he give you such a business? So that you'll no longer suffer hunger in the land. So that your family, and please don't forget to be generous with your relatives also. So that your family will no longer lack food. Now, I want you just to think with me for a minute. I'll give, just throw this out for the business people a little bit. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 26, verses 12 to 14? It says that so Isaac planted in that land. Now, it took him a long time to do this, but finally he planted in the land. But he was not a farmer. He was a herdsman, sheep and goats. So in the middle of the famine, he had to learn to do something new. And notice what he did. What was the biggest need? It was food. Where was all the food coming from? Egypt. And forgive me, by the time the food got from the Delta River, the Nile Delta, the, what we call Goshen in the scriptures, by the time the food got from there to Gerar, what do you think it looked like? Not very good. A lot had been lost by shrinkage and by rot. Transportation costs were high. So food was expensive, it didn't look very appetizing, and it, there wasn't much of it eat by the time it got there. So God gave Isaac an idea. He planted. Now he has food that looks good. It's fresh. He doesn't have the long transportation, so he doesn't have huge transportation costs. He can sell a product at a cheaper price than the Egyptian import. A better product than the Egyptian import. And he became wealthy. Now some of you businessmen need to be like the men of Issachar and understand your times. Sister Kara will be teaching at the businessmen's breakfast tomorrow morning. And one of the things that she will share with you is the economic forecast for Ghana is worse than the Philippines in the 1980s. It's rough. It's rough. But she will also tell you that's the days that all the foreigners pulled out and our Filipino billionaires began to be born. What you have to understand is that in these times, God will give you businesses of renown. God gave Isaac a business of renown. And before long, yes, he had problems with jealousy. And yes, there's a lot more in that passage that needs to be unpacked. But, and yes, they were jealous because there used to be their sheep and their goats. And they sold their sheep and their goats to buy his food. And now he owned most of what they had. That's called transfer of wealth in the hard times. It's done by business transactions. So with all of this going on, Isaac prospered in the middle of the hard times. It's time for Ghanans to prosper. It's time for Ghanan Christian businessmen to quit looking around and going, you know, we still have to buy all this stuff from overseas. You are smart people. You are talented people. You can do anything. God will help you. But understand that God will raise some of you up and give you businesses of renown. And you won't be looking, and your, your people won't be going overseas for jobs anymore because there's going to be great jobs here. Families won't be divided up anymore by people going to America or going to London to try to earn and support the families here. Christian businessmen will rise up and build businesses of renown. 
and our people will come back home and our families will be united again together. Now, if you don't believe it works, look at Korea with Dr. Cho. I mean, please, we sat down one time. I remember he said, the Philippines used to be just like, we used to be just like the Philippines. And I'm, like, I'm looking at the riches of Korea going, what? He said, oh, yes. He said, we used to send all, he said, who do you think taught the, the Saudis how to make concrete? It was Koreans. He said, we were the ones that built all the early buildings. Then the Filipinos took over from us. He said, all of our families were separated. But now all of our families are back home. There will be a day when your people, other nations, will come to Ghana to find jobs in Jesus' name. But it starts by putting all of our hope in the God who provides. And one of those things he provides is businesses of renown. 1 Timothy 6.17, who richly provides us with everything. Everybody say everything. Now, now, please, let me be very simplistic for a minute. What does everything mean? Everything. So is there anything that God will not provide? Now, just remember that there's a difference between God's will and God's capability. Remember Jesus in the garden? He said, Father, not my will be done, but thy will be done. He said, Father, you can do anything, but not my will, but your will be done. You know, he can do anything. He, he could snap his fingers and all of these walls would be covered in pure gold. He can do that. But the question is, will he do that? And many times we forget the difference between the plan of God and the power of God. There are differences. And if we want to learn to work with God, we've got to be like Jesus. And Jesus said, Father, I only do what, he told people, I only do what I see my Father doing. I want to be invested in the plan of God. Jesus knew the power of God, but he wanted the plan of God. So when we talk about he can provide everything, yeah, he can provide everything. There's nothing too hard for him. He can provide a pair of shoes. I mean, we have ladies in our church that pray for shoes. Do any ladies here pray for shoes? He can provide for shoes. It, it <laughs> different colors. With guys, black is fine. <laughs> Good pair of black shoes were great. But please, don't, don't put any limitations on God except his will, or his plan. He can provide everything. Now let me give you one more. He can provide the offering. Now th this, is, this, is, this is so important. Genesis 22 verse 8, And Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower. Okay, now I can go another hour. I'm teasing. <laughs> now he who supplies seed to the sower. Beloved... 
in the hard times, you have to understand God is not a taker. He's a provider. Now, you can't be a pastor and have compassion and your heart not mm, when you see the poorest person in the church bring down an offering. Dr. Cho tells the story of the woman who brought down the rice bowl. The roof was not on their building. It was winter, freezing cold. He'd almost committed suicide three times by this time, jumping off the building next door. Nobody was giving any money to finish the building. He looked like a complete failure. And a little woman walked down the aisle and said, Dr. Cho, I don't know if this would help, but this is all I have. And she gave a rice bowl. Can you imagine how his pastor's heart felt? I can't take this from you. But that broke something in the church. And from that moment forward, everything was fine. We live in a world where sometimes people who have more think that in their compassion, people should not give, like they're taking something. But that's not true. God is not a taker. God is a giver. Satan comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life more abundantly. God is not a taker. When you return the tithe to God, he's not taking from you. He blessed the work of your hands. And then he says, now of all that I have blessed you with, just like in the garden, there was one tree that belonged to God. He said, of all that I blessed you with, that belongs to me. I'm going to use that to support the ministry. Now, that's a pretty good deal. God provides for the ministry. And then he says, if I want something from you, first thing I'm going to do is give it to you. King David understood that. As he raised that huge generational offering at the end of his life, he said, Lord, everything we've given you, you first gave to us. He gives bread for food and seed to sow in every harvest. And what you have to learn is, yeah, during the famine... I will admit, sometimes our seed looks a little different. When, when times are good, and you've got to also understand prosperity looks different too, okay? Remember, God called Joseph prosperous when he was a naked slave. Go back and study it. God called him prosperous. He was a prosperous slave. Then he was a prosperous prisoner. Then he was a prosperous government official. Prosperity looks different at different stages of life. But so does our sowing. He gives seed to the sower. Do you remember the widow of Zarephath? Her seed didn't look like much. Every day it was just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And she gave that seed every day. It didn't look like much. But it was the seed God gave her to sow. And it took care of the ministry 
and it provided for her family. Now, let me just throw this in here, and then I want to come back to the seed. Understand that the harvest sometimes looks different in a famine, too. When that little girl or that little woman sowed her precious seed, I mean, it's all she had to live on. She was going to feed herself and her son and then die. Is that correct? When she did that, she thought that was the end. She gave everything she had. Now, you would think that that kind of generosity would get a building this big full of food. But the harvest was just tomorrow's food. Why? Because when God blesses us, he adds no trouble to it. Now think about it. A widow woman in a city of famine, if she had a building this size full of food, how long would she keep it? It would be stolen from her in a heartbeat. The harvest came in an unnoticed way. And sometimes you have to let God provide for you like that. Where God gives you a harvest and nobody else can see it. It's, it's, it's not a big harvest. It's like a flow. And sometimes it's like a flow through a straw. And nobody else can see it. Nobody else notices it. But every day she ate for the rest of the famine. Every day. Now let me tell you what I teach some of our members when they're going through very hard times. If I visit their home and their Maralco, their electricity is turned off because obviously there's no fan and there's no lights. And you smell and it's lunchtime and there's nothing cooking. I begin to talk to them. First I go buy some food for them. And all the pastors said, Out of my pocket, not the church's pocket. And then I sit down and I talk to them. And I say, now, every day you need to sow a daily seed. Like the widow of Zarephath. I said, it may not, be, it may not look like much. It may look so small that it looks insignificant. But in God's eyes, it's extravagant. Because God doesn't count the zeros, God counts the generosity of the heart. Now what happens to many Christians, and please, we're, we're like the men of Issachar, we're understanding our times and knowing what we should do. Many Christians, they've gone through the good times, and they've given big offerings, oh, and they, they were so proud of their big offerings. And now you don't have much. Your bank account is sucking air. And now you think, well, my offering doesn't mean anything. I don't. And you don't understand. You're starting yourself in a death spiral of poverty. The greatest offerings you will ever give is in the hard times. It has nothing to do with the zeros. It has nothing to do with the amount. It has to do with the generosity that your heart is showing to the Father. Now, I'm going to stop there in the sermon. 
That was my first point. We'll pick up on Sunday. But let me close with this. Well, I'm not done yet, don't worry. Do you remember at the, at the great feast, John 7? They poured out the water. According to the Talmud, they would have gotten very quiet. I mean, the whole temple courts is just so silent you could hear a cockroach walk. And all of a sudden, there's this voice coming up from who knows where. Is anybody still thirsty? Because nobody got to drink that water. It just got poured out in that cute little ceremony. Let him come to me and drink. About which he meant the Holy Spirit. And he continues there in John 7 and said, If you come to him, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now remember what the Bible teaches us about the rivers of God. He said that we will be like trees planted by the river that does not lose its leaf and does not grow brown in the time of famine. You have to understand, God has planted your life next to the river. The river is coming out of you. The Holy Spirit is flowing through you. So this beautiful river of life is flowing through you. Now add one more verse to that. Ezekiel chapter 47 verse 9. Everywhere the river flows, everything lives. Everything what? Every place the Holy Spirit flows, everything lives. Now some of you, if you own a business and you're not getting any customers, go to your business tomorrow morning. Go a couple of hours early and let that river of living water flow out of your belly. Walk through your business. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Sing in the Spirit. And just do that for a couple of hours in Jesus' name. Pastors, forgive me. Your church members aren't back from COVID yet. They still want to watch online. Walk through that empty auditorium. Everywhere the river flows, everything lives. If you're working in a company and the company is beginning to talk about layoffs because they have no more contracts, they have no more business, get together with some of the other Christians in the company and say, listen, we're going to start coming to work three hours early. When nobody else is around here, we're going to open the doors and we're going to walk through every floor of this business and pray in the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. God told the people of Israel during their captivity, seek the prosperity of the city in which you dwell because as it prospers, so you too will prosper. Walk through the streets of Ghana and pray in the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. How many of you have a car? Raise your hand. As you drive around, turn off the radio and just sit there and pray in the Holy Ghost as you drive down the streets. Lord, I'm asking for the Holy Spirit to flow to the city. Not just bringing revival, but bringing blessing for the people. I seek the prosperity of the city of Accra in Jesus' name. Pray in the Holy Ghost. In every situation, 
where you see lack, where you see death. Everywhere the Holy Spirit flows, everything lives. Pastors, I was told that there are many unfinished building projects. Mm. I know what that's like. Took me 20 years to finish our building and pay for it. Understand? We started meeting with half a roof. No doors, no windows, no paint for years. I learned. You know that passage? Not by might, not by power. But by it's about a building program. It's about building God's house. And it's not done by financial management. It's not done by understanding bankings and leverage. It's done by the Holy Spirit flow. Now, brothers and sisters, in the 90s, coming out of the economic crisis, we had a revival that touched our city. For four and a half years, we had services six and seven days a week. The river flowed. And we watched it break poverty off of our family. Now, when I say family, I'm talking about the church. And when I say church, I'm talking about the people. See, if the, well, we want our church to be debt-free. Well, that means the people debt-free. We need the Holy Spirit to flow, to bring life to the people. Now, I, I know this isn't the prosperity preaching that some people like, but that's all right. I'm a pastor. I, I teach people how to live. Okay? Th this, this is how we live the scriptures. Now, beloved, God will provide. Now, some of you, you're at home. When you go home tonight, you don't have a bank account. I won't ask how many, because I know my church members. You don't, have a, you don't have anything to put in the bank. It goes in and out so fast. You know, in America, they have In-N-Out Burger. We have In-N-Out Cash. Drive through, just psh. And sometimes it's like a, a speed car. It's like a speed race where it just boom. You need to go home and begin to lay hands on your home and pray in the Holy Ghost. Gather the family together and every day begin to pray in the Spirit and sing in the Spirit over your home. You walk to the closet of your children and you don't see, I'm, I'm sorry, it hurts. You, you don't see clothes, your kids. You, you look at your kids' shoes and as a parent, your heart breaks. Just stand there in that closet. Lift up your hands and begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. Sing in the Spirit. Every place the river flows, everything lives in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please? Would you stand with me? Did you learn something tonight? Now, I only got to page... Eleven. I'm sorry, I'm wrong. I have 75 pages. 
I don't know how to teach you super spiritual. I just know how to teach you practical. We serve a God who's real. We serve a God whose word is livable. Now, I don't understand why lifting up my hands and praying in the Holy Ghost and singing in the Spirit over my child's closet is going to bring blessing. But I know it brings life. And I know he'll bless the work of my hands. And I know he'll bless my family. You walk, look at your refrigerator, ladies, and you want to feed your kids good food. And you look in that refrigerator. In the Philippines, we eat a lot of sardines when we don't have money. What is the food you eat when you don't have money? Gari. Gari. You eat so much gari that you have diarrhea. But you look in your refrigerator and your rice, even a rat will not eat. And you want to feed your kids. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. And begin to say, Lord, in Jesus' name I come. You're the God who richly provides all things for my family to enjoy. Every good and perfect gift comes down from my Father in heaven. Lord, you know every need before I even ask it. You're a good, good Father. And just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost and sing in tongues and stretch out your hands toward that refrigerator. And in Jesus' name, let my refrigerator live. Let my cooking live. Let the clothes for my children live. Let this home live. Let my job live. Let life flow to everything I set my hand to. All right, lift your hands and begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name. Father, we taught simple things tonight. But Jesus, make it real. You fed the multitude with 12 basketfuls left over. You haven't changed. You cared about your people out in the middle of nowhere with no place to get food. You cared about them. 
you haven't stopped caring today. Father, I pray especially for the single moms. Lord, it's, it's not easy. They feel all the responsibility. Father, let there be a grace upon those single moms. Let there be a grace upon the single moms. A grace of faith. Lord, to just simply believe and receive that you're a father to the fatherless. Oh, I thank you for it. Father, I pray for every person in their jobs. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, let this be a new day for Ghana. Let this be a new day for the Kadesh. Oh, let everything turn around. Father, in the name of Jesus, let the little widow mite offerings in this hard time, Lord, let them come before the throne. Let all of heaven stop and look at the generosity of the widow mites in the Kadesh. Oh, and bring down blessing upon your people, Father. Bring down provision upon every home, every family. Let fear be broken off of every parent, Lord. Let the fear be broken off of them about the future of their children. Let the young people, Lord, who fear for their futures, let that fear be broken. Let there be a simple faith, a simple hope. Oh, and that you provide. Oh, a simple faith, Lord, that you are the provider of all things. In Jesus' name, Bishop. God bless you for listening to this message. For more information on upcoming programs and events, visit our Facebook page, Kodesh Family Church Ghana HQ. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast to receive new messages every day. And remember, God's word is a lamp onto your feet and a light onto your path.